Well, we're delighted you could be here this morning. Uh, you'll need three things. Um, one is a Bible, and two is an outline, and three is a pen. So if you need any of those, um, Becca is eager to get them to you. A Bible, a pen, and an outline. And one of the things our congregation is very good at is having babies. <laughs> I don't know how that happens. But uh, it, <laughs> but we seem to be good at it. And uh, so we're delighted if you have brought your children with you this morning. Um, you're welcome to keep them in the service. If you'd like, there is a nursery uh, around the corner there and, and basically through that wall, but you have to go around. And uh, there's, there's folks there that would be happy to watch your kids for you. If you want to keep them in the service, that's fine. If they want to try to talk back to me a little bit, that's fine, too. I'll just talk louder. <laughs> We're going to be looking today at uh, John chapter 18, verses uh, 15 through thir- 27. Uh, <clears throat> if you'd like to turn to John chapter 18. I'll read that passage to you uh, right now, John eighteen fifteen through 37. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to be known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of these men's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered them, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Now this passage uh, contains a real comparison contrast here, particularly between Peter and Jesus. And I don't think it is in any way accidental that John set it up this way. Peter, in one sense, is humanity at its best. Peter gets a bad rap in this passage, but I don't think he deserves it. Um, Jesus, on the other hand, is God at his weakest. In summary, we'll see Peter cannot save himself or us. 
Jesus can save himself, but won't. Jesus can and will save us. So let's briefly review how we got here. Um, The last, um, oh, I don't know, um, I didn't count them, six or seven chapters in the book of John all takes place on one day. Um, And that's the... Excuse me, I, I do get choked up, but the day they arrested Jesus. And I have to say, if I had been there with Peter, that guy would have lost his head. <laughs> so what's happened to get us to this point? Jesus has been having the, the last events with his um, uh, apostles uh, they've been going over that he's going to leave and that it's going to be good for him. Uh, he has told them that they are all going to desert him. Peter naturally says, oh, no, not me, boss. I'm with you all the way. And Jesus tells him, you'll deny me three times. And then the, then the rooster will crow. And that's what happened. <clears throat> so at the Garden of Gethsemane, they come to arrest Jesus, and of course Judas uh, leads them there, his his betrayer. And uh, um, when Jesus says, you know, I'm the man you're looking for, take me. That's when Peter steps up and decides to take somebody out. Now he's pretty clumsy with the sword and only gets the guy's ear. <laughs> but you got to give him an A for effort. And, of course, Jesus heals the, the high priest's servant, and he rebukes Peter. And he tells him, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? You know, only Jesus could die for the Peter. Could, excuse me, only Jesus could die for the people. Right, that was really weird. <laughs> not the high priest's servant, not Peter. Only Jesus' death will actually save us. <clears throat> this was a key issue in Peter's life. If you remember, he struggled with it in Matthew 16 when Jesus said that he was going to be crucified. And, and Peter just flat out rebuked Jesus. <laughs> Can you imagine standing in front of the Lord of glory and telling him he was off his rocker? This guy was a fear to nothing. And Jesus, of course, told him, get behind me, Satan. And then in John 13 again, uh, Jesus said he was going to be crucified. and, And Peter still told him, no, you're not. So this was a long term uh, issue in Peter's life. And I think what was going on here is that more than anything, Peter wanted to be worthy of the Lord. And isn't that just like us? Don't we want to have something that uh, that we can contribute? You know, we want God's grace, but we want to be worthy of that grace. And we don't even think about what a contradiction in terms that is. You know, if you... If you receive mercy, it's because you're not worthy of it. But yet we always want to go to the Lord with something on our plate to give to him. 
Our greatest barrier to accepting forgiveness is that we want to deserve it, not just to be given it. The only problem with that plan, of course, is that we don't and never can deserve it. Before we blame Peter too much, it's good to remember that at our best, we would probably do something like what Peter did. I mean, think about it. Could you just stand there and let him take Jesus away? Could you do it? Wouldn't you rather die at that point? Yeah. So Peter cannot save himself or us. So now we come to the where we are in our passage, John eighteen fifteen. Remember in all that comes next that at this point the rest of the disciples have fled. All right? Who has not fled? Peter and John. The rest had fled and deserted Peter, deserted Jesus at this point. Peter may have felt fear, but I don't think he acted out of fear. Simon the Rock follows right into the mockery of the trial that Jesus faced. Now, evidently, John, the, the, that's the described here as the apostle, the other apostle, um, had some connection with the high priest. We don't know what that is. Maybe, you know, they had a fishing business up on Lake Galilee. Maybe they sold the high priest fresh fish or something. Who knows? But there's some connection there. We don't know. There's a lot we don't know, but we do know what's essential. So John gets Peter in. The first question was from a servant girl, just about as unintimidating as it can get. She asked if he was Jesus' disciple. Now, what could he say at that point? He had tried to stand up for Jesus, and Jesus told him, stop, that he was wrecking the whole plan. Really, had he been acting as Jesus' disciple? No. He had actually been doing the wrong thing. He had been getting right in the way of what Jesus wanted to do. And I think, at this point, Peter was just devastated. And what he was devastated at was his own rebellion against the Lord. So Jesus' hour of greatest need, Peter jumped in, did the wrong thing, and earned Jesus' rebuke. At this point, I think he felt uglier than a toad. Ever looked at a toad and wish you looked like that toad? (laughs) No, that's really ugly. Of course he denies he's Jesus' disciple. Nothing could be clearer at this point. But the fact is, he's still following. He's still following. So Peter continues to stand at the fire with the local cops who had just arrested Jesus. (laughs) He's really scared, right? He's in there with the very guys that arrested Jesus, warming himself at the fire. Either that or he's totally clueless. So he's despairing, but I don't think he's shaking in his boots. You know, despair is actually good progress. He's finally repenting of what he trusted in, 
which was himself. That he was somehow going to do something. So Peter's denial is not that he wasn't Jesus' follower, because he was. He followed into the courtyard. What Peter realized is that he was not a disciple. He wasn't doing what Jesus asked him to do. He was relying on his own works, not Christ's. Being an all-or-nothing kind of guy, once he realized that he had missed the point, he ends up even denying he was with Christ. Sometimes being such an all-or-nothing guy is not a good idea. Through the sword attack and Jesus' rebuke, Peter realized that he has missed the bus. It's his worst nightmare. He is unworthy. But unworthy or not, he keeps following Jesus. Because as Peter said in John 6, Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. And who else will he go to? All he has left is Christ. And you know what? That's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. Because Christ is enough. More than enough. So Peter denies Jesus. Peter, I think at this point, is pretty deep in despair. But he's holding on. He's still following. So Jesus can save himself, but won't. This is the next section, 19 through 24, in, uh, where the high priest examines Jesus. Now, just one little note here in terms of what the high priest was. and um, This is the highest Jew- Jewish office in the land. Um, and at this point in Jewish history, it was, he was actually appointed by the Roman governor. Um, and for whatever reason, they rotated the office of high priest fairly regularly, fairly often among the men of one family. There was a high priestly family. And, and so you'll hear Annas described, as you read through the scriptures, you'll hear Annas described as a high priest. You'll hear Caiaphas described as the high priest. Um, that's why. It, it's kind of like when we talk about the royals. Do you know who I mean by the royals? It's the British royal family, right? It, it's it's not any particular individual. And so a lot of times in the scriptures they'll say the high priest, and it just means, yeah, one of those guys, and I'm not sure which one because they changed every year. As the high priest talks to Jesus, he wants to make this a, a, an issue about politics. He wants to know who Jesus' disciples are and how many he's got. Now, why would he be asking a question like that? Well, he wants to go hunt them down. And you know what? He probably could have. But you remember how Jesus prayed in John 17? That he had not lost any of them? And that he was entrusting them to the Father? And here, while Jesus is on trial for his life, he refuses to tell that man where his disciples are. Because he's still protecting them and still making sure they're going to get through. The high priest wants to round up and eliminate the whole bunch. Jesus effectively refocuses on the truth, who he is. If he is right, then worship him. And he's really throwing it in the guy's face. If this high priest had another hot button that Jesus didn't step on, I don't know what it is. 
he, 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 is, he is just focusing that guy on him. <laughs> you know what? Do you notice here that the high priest had the trial at night? Why did he do that? He's the most powerful Jewish official. <laughs> he's ashamed of what he's doing. What does Jesus say? Everything I said, I said in public. <laughs> How do you think he enjoyed that? They want a night trial. Jesus stands for nothing hidden. It's unbelievable to think that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead only a short time before this. And you know what? The scriptures even say that they had spies there and witnessed it. And they still are trying to get rid of Jesus. All of these men knew this. Annas could have repented. He could have worshipped the Messiah. Instead, he sends him to die. He takes the easy way out. You know, this is the same choice all of us face today. Jesus will not be ignored. We either choose to worship him, or we, in effect, hold him up to crucify him. Those are the two choices. Jesus was not merely a good man that we can all sit back and admire and debate his ethical teachings. Jesus claimed to be God of the universe. And if he is not, he's nuts or he's, or, or there's something really wrong going on or he's a fraud or whatever. But he is not just a good man. He is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. Jesus is such a powerful figure, we can't ignore him. We can go with him, we can flee him, but we cannot act like he doesn't matter. Note well the contrast between Jesus and Peter and how they answer these questions. Peter's worst nightmare had come true. He had been shown to be unworthy. He goes into denial and flat out loses his grip on the truth. Uh, that happens to us. Have you ever done the denial thing? That's, that's one of my favorites, actually. When, when I'm doing the wrong thing and you ask me about it, my first instinct is to say, no, no, not me. <laughs> Anybody else have that problem? <laughs> and what happens is that as we get further and further into denial, things just get weirder and weirder and crazier and crazier. Yeah, and does for Peter, too. Jesus, on the other hand, knowing he is to die, is fearless. He asks his enemies to repent all the way to the end. He leaves them no way out, but the only real way out, which is to serve him. It's to worship him. Yeah. So Peter cannot save himself. Jesus can save himself, but won't. Why is it that Jesus won't save himself? It's because he could not save you if he saved himself. Have you ever thought, well, you know, I'm not all that gifted a person, and I'm only one person. It really doesn't matter all that much what I do. Well, are you going to try that one before the throne? 
Are you going to look him in the eye and say, yeah, well, you know, I know you went through the crucifixion and all for me, but, you know, it wasn't that big a deal, was it really? (laughs) I don't want to try that one. I don't want to try that one. So he leaves us only one way out. So Jesus can save himself, but he won't, and that's for our sake. Jesus can and will save Peter, and he will save us. The last section there. Twice more, Peter denies Christ. At first, he is asked if he is a disciple. He denies it. It's stuck in the question. But we can give him the benefit of the doubt and say his answer is true in the sense he's not lived up to what a disciple really is. It's thin, but my guess is that's what Peter was thinking. But then he denies he was even in the garden. All right, Peter. He just left the rails on that one. And I know you've never done that. You know, tell one little white lie and, and then to keep, you know, you got to tell another one. And pretty soon you get out there with a big fat lie. <laughs> and I am often tempted to deny the truth just like Peter. And just like Peter, it never leads me anywhere good. <clears throat> Do you see what Jesus is doing here? There was an issue in P- Peter's life that was preventing him from being a true disciple. He had to face the fact that he was unworthy and had nothing to contribute. In other words, we come to Christ when we put our faith in him and he saves us and regenerates us. But then what he's doing is he's beginning to work in us, changing us, molding us into his image. And he does it different way in different people's lives. Now, Peter, as you know, uh, means rock. And when Jesus first met Peter, he said, I'm going to name you Rock. Now, how would you feel if the first time you came acquainted with Jesus, he said, I'm going to call you Rock? <laughs> well, my guess is that Peter was the kind of guy that thought that was cool, that he wanted to be the Rock. And in many, many situations, he truly was the rock. But the trouble is, if you're the rock, you can begin to rely on that. You can begin to hope in that. And the Lord needs to work on that in you and help you to grow so that you're not relying on your rockedness. Right? We all want some hope left in ourselves. And what Peter, what Jesus has done here is masterfully orchestrate this situation. And you got to remember, he's on trial for his life here. And he's still worried about how he's going to get Peter through this and help Peter learn this lesson. You know, there are a lot of things that really demonstrate that Jesus is God. But his ability in this situation is certainly one of them. His ability to orchestrate the situation. So Peter, Jesus works in Peter's life to help him face 
his reliance on himself and come to real reliance in Jesus. We know that later, after the resurrection, and I'm sliding into the conclusion now on your outline if, you, if, you're, if you're watching that. After the resurrection, Jesus restores Peter and he gives him a wonderful job to do, feed my sheep. And uh, Peter spends the rest of his life pursuing that. We know that through him and the rest of the apostles, the, uh, the world has never been the same. And Peter truly did become the rock um, of, that could be relied on. Uh, it's, it's really fun reading uh, Peter's two letters in light of what we see him going through in the gospel. And we realize how much God changed him. <clears throat> it's, it's very clear that Peter never forgot what Jesus taught him here. And you can read about it in Peter's letters. Jesus showed him that he was unworthy, which was a mercy. Then he restored him and gave him life. Each of us must go through what Peter went through. You know, sometimes we think that when you, when you uh, become a Christian, that that means that ever, ever, ever after that, everything is all going to be just fine. It's all going to be smiles and happiness and and you pray and you get whatever you want and, um, you know, there's a great vending machine in the sky and you just put in a couple of nickels and, you know, out comes what you want in life. It's called prayer, you know. <laughs> Doesn't work that way, does it? See, because what God wants to do is to perfect us. He wants to perfect us. And I don't know about you, but as I look at my life, I'm a long way from perfection. In fact, if it wasn't God himself saying that, I'd say he's nuts. That he's going to actually perfect us. He's going to make us over into Christ's image. And some of those things, some of the things that he has to take us through are pretty tough. But none of that should actually surprise us. To change us, to change sinners like you and I, into people that accurately reflect the glory of God, that's quite a job. That's quite a job. So each of us must go through what Peter went through. Each of us must learn that we can only hope in Jesus. We cannot save ourselves. No one else can save us either. But Jesus not only can but will save us. He died and rose again to pay our penalty and to make us perfect. So to summarize, we've talked about how Peter cannot save himself or us. Jesus could have saved himself, but chose not to, for our sake. Jesus can and will save us. Let's pray. Father, our hope is in you. You're the one who um, sent your son to go to the cross.